Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special Sunday mailbag edition. I am Scott Phillips and he is Andrew Page. G'day, mate. How are you? Correct on both counts. I'm very good. How are you? Excellent, excellent. Andrew Ram Page, as I like to call him. And our listeners have taken to that, mate, which I'm very, <laughs> very excited about. It's, uh, <laughs> I'm always happy when these things can be picked up and used in uh, in, in general general conversation. It's always, it makes me feel a bit better, let's be honest. Mate, <laughs> uh, how does this morning find you? Uh, look, um, we our household got hit by coronavirus, so we're oh, all bugger. we're all well. Like you know, it could be a lot worse, obviously, oh, but uh, we are in isolation, right. and um, so that's that's keeping things interesting. Or as I like to call it, business as usual. Yeah. I, I think I've said this before, mate, but I was talking to one of the guys at work, and he literally made the point that oh, gee, people are doing tough with this lockdown thing, and I literally my first thought was like, really. Yeah. <laughs> which I know is not common. Uh, my life hadn't changed all that much realistically and uh, I, I didn't uh, necessarily uh, value as much as I could of the fact that other people are struggling with it because I'm like, this is what I do normally. I don't yeah. see that many people. Yeah. This is kind of what we do. It's all uh, one of those things. But apparently, mate, I'm not typical. Apparently, Yes, well, you know yes. Uh, but it does change things when you have kids underfoot and all of that kind of stuff. Oh, so I'm, yeah. I'm happy to, I'm happy to like uh, be in isolation from society. No problems there. <laughs> But you know, um, by you yourself. also, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, obviously love the love the kids to death. But uh, you know, it's it is hard to get some some things done uh, at I times. I hear that. Yeah. My young bloke's at home. He's been home uh, most of this week. We're recording this on Wednesday morning, just to pull back the curtain a little bit. Uh, he's been home since Monday. Uh, we turned out he had a, had, a, had a PCR, was negative yesterday, but still symptomatic of something. So we're just trying to do the right mm. thing, keeping him home. But yeah, we're at day three today. Uh, what I say, we, I'm very, very fortunate. I'm stuck in the office, which is away from the, the house. But uh, yeah, my, my wife is on the hard yards with, with her, my young bloke at the moment. So uh, that's, uh, that's happening as we speak. Oh, so I say, I say we, uh, and I'm hiding down here. So that's a win. <laughs> poor anyway. Ruth. Yes, poor exactly. Right. Mate, our wives are long suffering for a whole lot of reasons, including including COVID. But uh, that's probably the least of their problems. I would uh, I would imagine they're, they're obviously very patient, very thoughtful people who don't realise how, how bad how good we've got it and how how, <laughs> <laughs> how much better they can do. But luckily, I, I assume I assume your beautiful wife Natalie doesn't listen to the uh, doesn't listen to the podcast. No, 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 no. no. She, 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 gets, she gets enough of a rant from me on all of these topics, just, you know, <laughs> say, wave, shake my fist as I walk through the house complaining about can't various you say things. This was, can't you say this for the podcast with Scott? Go and talk to him about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think she, she sees this as my therapy session. Oh, mate. Speaking, I, speaking of ranting, this is, the, this is the mailbag episode, but I can't help myself. Uh, ABS numbers were out on Tuesday. House price oh, yeah. went up 23.7% last year, apparently, according more, to the old Bureau yeah. of Statistics. More, more in Sydney. Median house price now almost a million dollars nationally, well over a million dollars in Sydney. Yeah. Remarkable. Are you trying to bait me or what, what's going on oh, here? Yeah, yeah, I, much, I've got so yeah, much to much. say. I've got so much well, to say, about, but this is not the right podcast. Through the house, I thought you've got to be ranting about property, obviously. <laughs> oh, that was uh, a so property you rant, yeah. <laughs> you, you, led, you led me down that path. I just thought I'd throw it in just, just for the sheer amusement to see whether you'd bite, but maybe you won't. So should we oh, move on? Man. Yeah, let's do. Let's do. All right. Greg says, hello, Scott and Rampage. Love it, Greg. Thank you so much for the podcast machine. It is always interesting, no matter what is being ranted about. Sometimes, Ram, I feel like I'm really pleased we're helping people. Other times when people use our phrasing and words back to us, 
either they're having a laugh or actually damaging their mental and, and intellectual health. I'm not sure which. So, Greg, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna assume I'm hoping, mate, that this is a uh, you're, you're indulging me in my in my uh, phrasing, uh, not necessarily being damaged by by listening to the podcast. But if you are, <laughs> my my humble apologies. He says uh, a question, if I may, please. Of course, I started investing in November 2019. Most of our investments have lost a lot, but it's only been a few years. I still have time and I still believe in my thesis. He says, or my new thesis for my tourism-based companies. How do I tell if I am just part of the 90% of drivers who think they are above average? Like I love these listing and using my own examples back at me. That's always good. Mm. What are some signs I should be looking for? I may just be going through, he says, the Dunning-Kruger effect. <laughs> is Greg. Greg, I love this self-awareness, mate. This is spectacularly good. And can I say, this is not going to be a universal or, or a promise. The fact you're asking these questions, mate, the fact you're aware of exactly what's going on, puts you in the top 10%. The, the, you know, I can't, I can't know about the 9% of drivers, uh, but I, you're almost certainly in the top 10% of investors almost by definition for having this conversation, thinking about this stuff, and it will absolutely stand you in good stead. No promises, no guarantees, mate, but the fact you're asking these questions are really, really good. Um, let's, let's go through it, mate. So as he said, how, how do I tell if I'm just part of the 90% of drivers who think they are above average? What, what's, and then what signs should I be looking for? Some investors shouldn't be. Let's let's be really, really honest, right? Like we know that the market is average and if there's an above average <laughs> performance by somebody, someone else is under average by definition. Um, not necessarily a one-for-one ratio. We get a means and medians later, but just conceptually. Um, tell me about the investor who thinks they can, who thinks they should, but maybe they're not cut out for it. What signs should Greg be looking for to make sure he's not better just to go, you know what? I love it. It's great. I wish I could but I'm just going to go with ETFs. Oh, God. It's, uh, what, a, what a huge question. I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I have. You're, we all have those moments. I'm sure you look in the mirror and think, what am I doing? <laughs> it's it's imposter. I, I suffer massively from imposter syndrome. You know, it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's hard, right? Like you, I think investing, you need to, it's, it's so vitally important to have humility, to understand where your boundaries are, where your weaknesses are, where the holes are, all of that kind of stuff. And yet, as we've discussed before, there's this sort of, the irony is, is that at the same time to be a good investor, you need to have conviction. You need to mm-hmm. ignore the crowd. You need to, you need to hold firm in the face of adversity. You need, so they're really uh, opposing kind of mindset. So it's mm-hmm. really tough. But I would say this. I would say, I mean, over time, over a long enough period, your returns will tell you if you know what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. But but at the same time, that's not going to mean anything over a six or probably even twelve or twenty four month period, mm-hmm. right? Like so so you, you have to sort of try for years to even find out if you know what you're doing. <laughs> and over those years, you'll evolve. And so what you're doing yeah. now might be very different to what you're doing three years. Ago. So yeah. it's really 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 hard. Um, I often I know people would have heard this before, but I, I often say you know right right out your thesis. So it's Mm -hmm. obviously at the end of the day, ultimately you need to see your expectations played out in the share price. Otherwise you don't make a return. But what were the drivers of, of that going to be? And has the business sort of delivered on that front? So, you know, you, you you may have thought with these tourism companies that look, there's a good tailwind here. They're very good Mm -hmm. operators. I expect the profit to grow at a certain rate. You know, if it's sort of like 18, 24 months on and the business just is not delivered, and this is the key point, without a good excuse, yeah. I think that's when that's when you sort of say, okay, I was wrong. I was wrong in, the, in that instance. Um, 
Where it gets really tricky though is that the, even the very, very best companies, like absolute world-class companies that are go on to, going to go on to do really special things, will have those setbacks as well. And, you know, you're talking about tourism companies, so I can only imagine what the uh, impact has been there in terms of what, mm-hmm. what happened with COVID. Is that management's fault? You know, when half of their market just disappears overnight, well, more than half of them, I mean, 100% of their market <laughs> disappears overnight and still find themselves in very difficult. Is that... Is that their fault? Were you wrong? Was this just a one-off thing that will again go back to normal and you're better to hold the court? Really, 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 really tough question. So I, mm. what am I saying? What I'm saying is I think you need to have a very clear picture of what right or wrong look like, looks mm. like. Over, over a long enough time, it will be the share price, but in shorter periods, it will absolutely be the business performance. And you need to constantly check back on that and just have the humility to say, okay, I got it wrong. Or, yeah. or maybe, maybe not that I, I definitely got it wrong. I'm just no longer sure. You know, that, that, that's reason enough to sort of change course as well. Um, but, yeah, I, res- I think you'll re- wrestle with these questions forever. <laughs> yes. Because really the will. moment, the moment, and I probably had a couple of these in my career, where you think, oh, I've, just, I've got it figured out. You're riding high, market's doing well. <laughs> you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I've just, every, the pennies dropped. Yep. I know yep. what I'm doing, you know. And then that's yep. probably that pride before fall moment where the, where the market serves you up with some humble pie. So it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's diabolically hard. But as you say correctly, this self-awareness is so key to all mm, of that mm, and just mm. having to really think it through and be honest, honesty with yourself and then ultimately, yep. you know, seeing where the chips fall. I had a chat with a young bloke um, a couple of weeks ago and uh, he's 15 and I said, mate, honestly, you probably should just save regularly, put an ETF and you'll retire a squillionaire. Mm. He's 15, right? And so, okay, but if I want to pick stocks, what should I do? And it was kind of one of those conversations where, you know, and, I, and look, picking stocks can be great if you're good at it. You can beat the market and compound at an even faster rate and live in more squillions by the time you retire. So it's a, it's, a, it's the right question. It was just an interesting response given at, at, a, at a certain age, you want you want the fun, you want the engagement, you want the involvement, you want the activity. And if you're a 15-year-old gamer, you're kind of, the idea of like leaving well enough alone is really tough to think through. Mm. Um, so Greg, Ram's given you a, a, a great answer. Um I'm going to extend though your time frame, Ram, because I've given the example before on the podcast of Amazon that went nowhere for the best part of three years. Tesla went nowhere for five years and then 10 bagged or something stupid. Even Berkshire's and, done nothing until recently. Right. And so even two years is, is really hard to know for sure whether you're, whether you're right, right? Because you were waiting for investors to catch up to something you saw. You are, if, you, if you're a Tesla investor and if you were right, and look, the share price could still crash from here, but let's assume you're right. You had to sit there for five years while everybody told you how wrong you were and the share price didn't move. And every day that little devil on your shoulder was like, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're doing. Sell your shares. What are you doing? Those smart people over there, they know better than you do. And here's the problem. Most Tesla people who end up getting this right were fanboys who weren't right because they were right. They were right because they wanted to be right and they happened to be, right? There's a difference mm. between being right for the right reasons and right for the wrong reasons. Yeah. The Elon yeah. fans aren't Elon fans because they objectively established the value of the EV market and da-da-da-da. They just convinced us they loved Elon, they loved the tech, they loved the cars, and gee, I hope I'm right. Mm. And that's okay, and it worked out well for them, so I'm not going to criticise them. But being right for the wrong reasons is almost as – you can be 
right for the wrong reasons and you can be wrong for the right reasons. Well, let's that's dr- also important, right? Let's drill into that because that's an excellent example. So you're, you, you, there were some people in, the, in that instance who were absolutely right for the wrong reasons. Yep. I'm sure within that there were some people who would say, well, actually, no, core part of my thesis is that he's going to spend a lot of money building out all this infrastructure sure. and, and, and stuff. He's going for scale. There is an industry-wide transition underway. Mm-hmm. Um, they are the clear market, like et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, in terms yes. of this is, yes. this is the basis for it. And uh, yes. al- although that five-year period, didn't see any movement in the or any real sustained movement in the share price. Mm-hmm. They still could have checked up. Oh, new Gigafactory has been opened. Okay, <laughs> this many production has been has been rolled out. There, there are various milestones yes, that you correct. can check off. So that's that's the key, though, isn't it? It's it's really trying to say what does success look like mm-hmm. beyond the eventual share price reward. What what does what does success look like and what are the markers along the road that could tell me that I'm on Love the that. right path? Yep. You know, if you and I say, let's go, let's let's drive to um, Uluru, uh, mm-hmm. let's get in the car today and let's go. <laughs> and then six hours later, we notice the beach. <laughs> now, we know we're on the wrong path, right? Um, right we might still get there eventually, but we yeah, know yeah, that yeah. a course yeah. correction is, is needed. So, yep. yeah, it, it's, it's, camp, it's tricky. It's tricky though, right? Yeah, so I'm gonna so a couple of thoughts. Um, just in, in addition, uh, so I think Andrew's. So there's two parts to any investment. There is the company you buy and the the price you pay. Obvious, but important and, and separate them. First thing I'd say is, is the company doing what you hoped it would do? So that's the first thing. And for that, I would say, Greg, the best part of not being misled is to really study business. So don't study share prices. Don't study shares. Don't study the market. Study business. Uh, so read true. Warren Buffett's letters. Read Good to Great by Jim Collins. We've talked about both of those before. Um, just understand business, right? Because here's the other thing is the more simply your thesis can be explained, Peter Lynch said, don't buy anything you can't illustrate with a crayon. Mm. Um, the more simply you can explain your thesis, the more confident you can explain your thesis and the more likely that thesis is to play out, mm. the better your odds of success, right? Mm. Now, if you're going to buy a Tesla, we'll use Tesla example. There is a scenario in which and other people said, I think Doc even said when he was on the podcast, uh, and maybe maybe said to me, you know, either way, if there were, had been a recession at the wrong time in Tesla's history five or six years ago, the business very possibly goes broke or is owned by GM or Apple right now. Yep. Yeah, because circumstances just happen and you have to be able to ride the waves. And there were times when Tesla was burning cash, in fact, even higher rates. Had this current higher rate environment turned up five years ago, Yep. Tesla may not have been able to raise capital or the right capital at the right price. Now, maybe, yeah. it, maybe it could. And I'm not. It's amazing how much luck and circumstance plays into all of this. Right. And so, mm. you know, so, but, I, but I can reasonably say, Woolies will sell more groceries in five years than they are today. Mm. And there's a lower, lower, now, lower probability of huge upside, but lower probability of huge downside as well because a grocer's a grocer's a grocer, right? Or mm. um, pick your company, choose your, you know, BHP's going to be mining iron ore. So think about the, the businesses that you're investing in and their, their likely futures and how probabilistic that is. If you're taking big punts on, I think this company will have the next cancer drug, even if you convince yourself you're right, you need to remember that overall, the chances of you being right aren't as high as you think they are. Mm. So, so know, know the business, know the company, know the probabilities of success. Or even, can I add to that, even if you are right, you know, your, the pathway right. to commercialization and shareholder returns can be five, 10 years. And we talked about that with well, even with China and GDP, yeah, you know, the other day. So, so you know, the the, the, the so you got to be right about the company. Then you got to be right about the price. There is a price that is too much to pay for every single company on the ASX and the US markets, bar none, mm. bar none. There is too high a price to pay. Now, in Berkshire's case, that's probably two million dollars a share because we talked about the share price on Friday. Mm. Um, for others, it's a different price. So, 
<coughs> excuse me, have a think about that. Now, why do I say these things? Because you need to know that the business is doing what Andrew's suggesting, that there is some path to future success. And I would say early on, you've been investing now for two years, keep it really simple. Don't swing for the fences with this stuff. Andrew's got some small cap hopefuls that he has a really big high conviction in that certain things will happen. But he's honed that over 20 plus years of investing where he knows the patterns, he knows business. Um, I personally <laughs> Still make plenty of mistakes too, by the way. Well, that, that, but that is the thing, right? That's exactly why it's important because making those mistakes means you've learned the things to avoid. You've learned things that make sense. You've understood probabilities and risk and, and all that sort of stuff and you've got that right. I, I would not be as successful investing in some of Andrew's companies as he is because I haven't spent as much time doing that work on those companies. And that's just, that's just the reality. Second mate is the price. If your price needs you a lot to go right, again, just be super aware that you're taking a very long putt. Now, the longer the putt, the the higher the chance of let's let's torture the golf analogy, it being a birdie or an eagle, right? Mm-hmm. If you if you've chipped onto the green but it's forty five feet away, that's a long putt. If you get it, then you got you're a couple under par. You're a genius. If you miss it, because you probably will, that's not terrible. But just be mindful that you know that the the diff, degree of difficulty is much higher if you're paying a high price if you need a lot to go right. And just have a think about that. Mm. Um, you say, you know, new, new thesis for my tourism-based companies. Okay, how likely is that to be right? Or how much is it kind of like a, if I'm right, I'm going to make a lot of money? Neither is bad. Uh, venture capital firms want to be right about one time out of 20, but they've got upsides that are in the hundreds of times. Facebook, right? You buy one Facebook and 25 other duds, you are a squillionaire. Mm. But you've got to get that Facebook and you have to be wrong a lot and be prepared for that. So that's, I think that's what I'd be saying in terms of, you know, is the business doing what it's supposed to be doing to Andrew's point? And then just how reasonable is the price? You know, did, did you pay too high a price? You pay too low a price? Is the price about right? Um, just just be careful of that because you can be right about the, as I said on Friday, you're right about the oil price of the growth in the oil consumption. You can be right about the growth in airline travel. But if you get the business wrong, you make no money. And so just be careful about what can happen with the business and also the price you're paying. Uh, get that right often enough, you'll do well. The other thing is, uh, if you want to, Greg, uh, I talked about ETFs at the very beginning, um, put a decent chunk of your portfolio in ETFs and then add individual shares around the edge while you learn that lesson. Because if, if, you, if you spend 15 years proving to yourself you can't invest, you've given up a decent amount of upside potential. So one option might be, depending on your individual circumstance, and we can't give personal advice, we never can, uh, but... Just simply, you know, if, you, if you're not sure, then get the market average. That's a perfectly great result while you make sure you're good at this or while you learn you're not. Either mm. of those is fine because then tells you what you can do next. Do you want to, do you, wanna, you know, you invest your entire capital in your own ability? Maybe, yeah, sure. If you're right, you'll be, you'll be great. If you're not right, eh, you might have benefited from being a more, bit more diversified, taking a little bit more, less company-specific risk. <laughs> We're going to get through this entire podcast having done one question, but I still have to add <laughs> one more thing. Um, and, and that is- And, and that's that the of this podcast, right? We see the train coming and we step in front of it anyway. Go on, It's mate. the alternate title is just one more thing or end of another <laughs> thing. Uh, um, one thing I suffer from, and I think all investors do, is mm. this, this idea of thesis creep. Mm-hmm. So we have a thesis. I'm going to buy company XYZ because I think this is going to happen. And it doesn't happen. And you're aware of that not happening. Um, <laughs> And then, but then you adjust the thesis to sort of fit. So you sort of go, well, I was wrong on that, but now the share price down 50%. Yeah. So now it's in the price. Yeah. So it's kind of like, yeah. yeah, it wasn't as good a company as I thought, but now it's cheap. And yeah. you buy some more and then it goes down another 50%. Well, you know, okay, I got it wrong. Before. <laughs> and you, you, you've got to, it's, I'm, I'm a sucker for it. I'm an absolute yeah, sucker for it. And, and you just need to be aware of it. I think sometimes it's better 
just yeah. to sort of say, get the hell out. You're not going to pay. There's no tax <laughs> implications, right? Other than it's other than you get to crystallize a loss. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but you can always go back in if you change your mind. I do. I do find that for myself, the very act. It's called the endowment effect. The very act of continuing to hold while I try to reformulate that thesis, mm. while I mm. adjust it to sort of fit the current narrative on the market, is going to just make my my thinking very fuzzy. Just get, get rid of it, I think. I'm, I'm yeah. coming more around to this way of thinking. Get rid of it, then go back to the books, make your mind up, and then then if you decide that, no, actually, this is right, I do still like this, then you can always buy back in again. You might pay a small hand bunch of uh, a small amount in brokerage but nothing really and and I, I think it I think it helps the better thinking in the past I wouldn't have I wouldn't have said that but now I'm more inclined to, to do that because because we 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 will do whatever we can particularly the <laughs> the males uh, yes. out there to yes. to preserve our ego and mm-hmm. it wasn't the market that was it wasn't I that was wrong it was sort of this was I was wrong a little bit but but I'm still right now and here's why right. to right. be aware that's of right. thesis creep I think that's absolutely true. Uh, I have other things to add, but I'm not going to. Let's go to a question from Andrew. Andrew says, hi, I want to pose a question or at least get a recommendation of the following. I'm a full member. Excellent. Thank you, Andrew. With my own self-managed super fund. I need to get an idea of ETF recommendations to invest in that pay dividends either monthly, quarterly, etc. How do I pose this question to the podcast? Regards, Andrew. Well, if I was more into ETFs, I'd probably just know a few off the top of my head that I, mm. that I could rattle off, particularly those that pay mm. on a monthly basis. I mm. I just don't know. But I would say, you know, good old Google is going to serve you very well here. <laughs> There's, you know, yeah. best, best income. D- d- There's actually not a huge number of them on the Aussie market. No. So no, if you just like search a list, you'll find them. And then just go to the, the product disclosure statement. Mm-hmm. Um, they're pretty friendly documents. Um and just just find out what are the fees, what are the frequencies, what are the underlying hold, and get to, just do a little bit of research. But you might know one off the top of your head, do you, mate? Mate, I don't. And I'm actually going to uh, I'm going to very kindly, uh, Andrew. Uh, sorry, Andrew. Yeah, uh, do what um, what the politicians do, which is I'm going to I'm going to reject the premise of your question, uh, and I'm, I'm going to do it with a smile on my face because. I <laughs> so here's the thing about here's the thing about financial advice, right? You can you can answer people's questions, make them happy. Uh, with with whatever answer they're looking for, or you can actually tell them the truth. And uh, one is more popular, the other is more honest and and carries more integrity. So I'm going to try the latter path. What I'm going to suggest to you, Andrew, is that I think, I imagine, I assume that you're looking for cash flow management from your ETF rather than for investment um, merit. Now, you'll say both, and that's completely reasonable. Uh, I would simply say to you that if I had to try and look for cash flow monthly or quarterly, I would invest in the best ETF I can find based on my personal needs and objectives. And then I would manage the cash flow myself. Uh, so, for example, uh, there, and here's the other problem, right? Those companies or those ETFs that are paying you out monthly or quarterly are probably, uh, let me, I need to be careful here because there will be some out there and they're not all unreasonable. Let me, let, me, let me pose a hypothetical. If I was going to try and convince a group of investors to invest in my ETF, and I wanted to get them to focus on something other than my performance, I might say, we are the only ETF that pays dividends quarterly or monthly. Look how good we are. <laughs> and people go, well, that sounds good. Okay, I'll do that then. Uh, it, maybe it's genuine. Maybe it's a bit of, what do they say? With the misdirection, uh, the old magician's trick. Uh, so look, Andrew, they're probably out there. They're probably fine. They're probably great. I would simply say to you that I would be investing in the ETF that I wanted to own. Uh, if they pay it out half yearly, 
I would simply just manage my own cash flow that way. We do have a service. I'm not going to sell it to you, but it's called Everlasting Income. And we effectively do that. We have 19 individual companies we invest in as part of this model portfolio. We've actually, we follow it with Motley Fool's own money for what it's worth, but members go first. Uh, members can mirror what we're doing. I think they get to go first and then we mirror what we've, said, what we've told them to do, but in any case. Uh, and we have a 20th position. So 90 companies in this 20th position, we call it cash. Uh, it doesn't need to be 20, it just happens to be. Uh, and we simply manage that cash pool. All the dividends go into the cash pool and then our members take out money every month on a, on a preset schedule. And so they manage their own cash flow out of their investment account into their own personal accounts. Every month, they take out a set proportion of their portfolio and the dividends go in there every six months when they're paid. And so sometimes that cash pool is large, sometimes it's smaller because it depends how long since the last dividends were paid and how much cash has been taken out since. So if it was me, uh, and I know I'm not answering your question, Andrew, I'm, I'm rejecting the premise of your question, uh, which makes the politicians very happy. But that's how I'd think about doing this, mate. I, I understand the desire and the need uh, and the preference I think you'll probably be better off investing in the right ETFs and then finding a way to manage your cash flow. And for us, as I said, um, simplistically, if you wanted to do it this way, uh, I'll tell you what I do personally. I don't take money out yet. I'm still compounding, but uh, I have a Commonwealth a Comsec account, brokerage account, uh, as I mentioned before. I have a Commonwealth Direct Investment account. That is my bank account where my investment money goes into. My, when I get paid, I put money in there. When dividends get paid, they go in there. And I use that account to reinvest in more shares. If I was in income mode, I would simply let the money go from the dividends into that investment account and then I would make a regular monthly withdrawal from that investment account to my regular savings account or transaction account and do it that way. So anyway, everyone's different, uh, but that is my answer. I hope that's okay. Have I lost a listener, Andrew, do you reckon? No, 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 very comprehensive. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. One from Craig. Uh, Craig, I love, I love this question. Craig, you are my new favourite listener, at least until the next question. Uh, hi, Scott and Pagey. I've been resisting the temptation to weigh in on the Bitcoin discussion to avoid giving it oxygen. Oh, no. <laughs> I finally broke, so it's time to stoke the hype train. Uh-oh. My view for the record. First point. One day, the narrative will fade away and the crypto space with it, including Bitcoin. Two, the investment community will be left scratching his head, wondering how it got sucked in. Three, this is more obvious for NFTs. Here are some phrases I associate with crypto and NFTs, says Craig. Hype train, little or no use case, greater fool theory, Ponzi schemes, fake gurus and rug pulls, cult followers, easily offended and still breastfeeding during the dot-com bubble. When the shoeshine boy gives you Bitcoin tips, says Craig, you know it's time to sell crypto. Some questions for Andrew, but I'd also like to know Scott's views. Uh, here's, here's, we may have got to go one for one, for one but we'll, uh, we'll have, a, have a go at it. One, what is the intrinsic value of a Bitcoin? Two, do you think Bitcoin will ever be widely accepted for day-to-day transactions? Three, are you investing, in air quotes, in Bitcoin solely because you expect to sell it to someone else for a higher price later? Four, yeah, I like this. This is a nice analogy. Isn't Bitcoin, isn't buying Bitcoin to have a stake in blockchain technology like buying an iPhone to have a stake in Apple? <laughs> and five, what is your view on NFTs? Thank you for the great content. Kind regards, Craig, who may have didn't but may have signed off with, I've now stoked the fire. I've thrown the hand grenade and I'm walking away. <laughs> uh, so Craig, thank you for your, I, I should just take the questions as comments really. Craig is so incredibly right. Obviously, <laughs> obviously correct. No, I'm kidding. Uh, you guys know I'm I'm fully and completely agnostic on uh, on Bitcoin and other cryptos. I can imagine they become a new version of digital gold. I can also imagine they might fade away. I literally have no idea. Um, <laughs> Craig has not been exactly unbiased and balanced in his questions, Andrew. Uh, we've He's answered got a good some point. of them before as well, but 
they're, they're interesting ideas. Um, I said I don't I don't want to I don't want to spend too much time on Bitcoin. You've you've done a really good job of explaining your interest in the before and and, and the what and the why. Mm. Um, I can I can I roll two questions together. He asks yep. about intrinsic value, and he asks about are you investing in Bitcoin solely because you expect to sell it for someone else for a higher price later? Mm. I'm going to say to you, mate, that's part of my challenge with with cryptocurrencies specifically is the inability to reasonably value them on any traditional investment metric. And I've said mm. before, I don't think there's already any worse than gold, but nor do I own gold for exactly the same reasons. Um, so intrinsic value and then is it, is, does it have to be a so-called greater fool theory? You're waiting for someone else to buy it, to, to, to pay you more for it later. Mm. If they can't, if it can't produce an income, does that, does, you know, how, how does that sit with the, with the usual investment thesis of discounted cash flows and other things? Yeah. Oh gosh, I'm just, I'm struggling to sort of, there's so much to unpack in all of this and we yeah, don't want sorry. to turn it into the Bitcoin podcast. So <laughs> Please. It's, I, I just have to acknowledge at the start, I, I think this is often lost. If you come out and say anything positive about the space, you're just seen as a laser eyes all in <laughs> Bitcoin maximalist. <laughs> right. You know, and I, I think I think an intelligent, yeah. reasonable, yeah. rational person can make a positive case for something while still acknowledging that 99% of of things in this space are going to zero. That's my firm yeah. belief. Yeah. It's yeah. it is a hype train. It is it is Ponzi. It, I mean it's all of those things for so mm. much of the various things that are out there. Yeah. I 100% yeah. agree. Yeah. But at the same time my view is is that there is a there is a new and novel and powerful technology that's behind mm. this. It's just mm. we're just such mm. in the early. It's like the internet in the 90s, right? It's mm. sort of like we kind of get that it's cool and it's got all these potential uses, but we're <laughs> still trying to figure it out. So, yeah. so I, I, I get all of that. Um, uh-huh. uh, the, the valuation. Well, how do you value the Australian dollar? Uh-huh. How do you value the remember? You know, like there, uh-huh. they there's no cash flow with those assets either. How do you value gold? Yeah. Gold doesn't have any cash flow. So there are there are assets where there there is analogy. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so it's hard. There, there's again, I, we can't go down the rabbit hole here because of time and, and format. Mm-hmm. But but there are various ways of, of valuing it. You're a traditional. I, you're a traditional investor, right? You and I have talked a lot about discounted cash flows on this podcast over the years. And and when you're working, we're working together before that, or in between your your first and second appearance on the podcast, the resurrection of Andrew Page, as I like <laughs> to call it. Um, uh, you know, we're, we're just kind of cash flow guys, right? You, you and I have said many times, you've used a version of the phrase, you know, share prices are the discounted value of future cash flows, whichever way you look at it, that's, yeah. the, that's, the, that's the correct way to value the asset. I that's agree with you, by the way, on the currency stuff. But, but as, a, as an investor, I don't imagine you own any renminbi and I don't know if you own any gold. No, I don't. But, no, I don't. No, so it's, it's productive so, so I, assets. I guess it's analogous to those things. I completely agree that it's entirely analogous to those things. As I said, it's, in my mind, it is a version of digital gold potentially. Maybe it never gets there, maybe it does. Um, but I can see the, I can absolutely see the analogy there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah, you, you hadn't known gold until, or yet, yeah, you know, but before Bitcoin, this owning Bitcoin is a change in your investment approach potentially, or at least the yeah, it is. Of that approach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It is. I mean, productive assets are very different. You know, you mm-hmm. produce a cash flow. It it becomes much more straightforward. These other things, all those things I mentioned, are much more difficult. At the same time, no one out on this planet is going to say the US dollar has no value. Yes. Or pick a currency, right? Even the yeah, crappiest yeah. currency out there has got some value. Yeah, something, worth something, yep. yep. It's worth something. Uh, gold is worth something. Mm-hmm. So, so ha- do I have a valuation on Bitcoin? No. Mm-hmm. But my view on it is is it's kind of either something that sees a wider adoption mm-hmm. and in that scenario it's probably worth many multiples of, of where it is today mm-hmm. or it's worth zero. Mm-hmm. 
It's a lottery ticket. I, I, I like to think of it as a, as a lottery ticket with a positive expected value in, in the sense that mm-hmm. it's, it, the upside is, is so substantial. If this becomes a new standard mm-hmm. for, for finance, and, mm-hmm. and that's what, I mean, yeah. it sounds yeah. so, st- I, I cringe when I catch myself saying things like that, but, <laughs> but there's actually no other way to say it. It sort of sounds mm-hmm. really crazy and it's what all the crazies yeah. are saying, yeah. but, yeah. but it is potentially a new rail, set of rails for, for global finance. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if, if that is the case, uh, it, it's it, it honestly in a this Bitcoin could be worth a million dollars a coin in in twenty years. Like it could yeah. now. I'm not saying it will. Maybe there's a twenty percent chance of that happening, right? And there's an eighty yeah. percent chance of it going to zero. Now mm. do the do the expected value calculation on that. It's it's one of those things that I, it, it gen, generally comes out positive if if that is the case. So my rationale for this is for starters, it is this is something I'll. I bought a bit of a chunk. It's it's mm-hmm. going to be buried in the proverbial backyard and 20 years yeah. later I'll dig it up yeah. and it'll be nothing or it'll be a squillion. And I'm happy to take that bet with a small portion of my portfolio because mm-hmm. I I think it's that big a deal. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, just, I just genuinely do. Get past all the hype. Start really doing some serious yeah. reading on this kind of stuff. But we're at a stage now where this is – it's been around since, two, what, 2009 or something? You know, this really quirky little thing that engineers and that were tinkering around with. We're at the <laughs> stage now where the sovereign wealth funds, uh, some of the biggest corporations oh, on the amazing, planet. Eh? El yeah. Salvador's got it as a global. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, the adoption is kind of get, yep. and, and happening. Yeah. Do you know? Do you know when? I don't know if anyone in themselves is get, get a wallet, get involved, and just have a muck around with it. Mm, it, mm. it is. This will this will test my, this will show my age, but I don't know if anyone remembers the internet in the late nineties. Like God, it was <laughs> you, it was hard. Like I don't know what I'm doing. Does anyone remember the Apple II? Remember computers before Windows interface, before yeah. graphic user interfaces? Computers today do absolutely nothing different. It, I mean, obviously, the power and speed has gone up a long way, but in terms of what they do, they're no different yeah. to what they were in the nineties. But you had to the be machines, yeah. you had to be a developer, you had to be a technical specialist to use a computer. And send, <laughs> it, was, it was that hard. Do you remember trying yeah. to set up your pop configuration for emails and stuff? Like just, it was a nightmare, and then that just got solved. Over time, yeah. that just got solved. And now any idiot can jump online and use it because the layers above all of those protocols are really seamless and smooth and user-friendly. Mm-hmm. So we're at the stage now where I think with with this technology where it's kind of like proof of proof of, of concept has been really well validated and now it's, now it's sort of being um, uh, improved to take to the masses. And, and I, my proposition is, is that I think there's a reasonable chance that there's a mass adoption, not because it's cool and it's different and I'm a, <laughs> I'm a libertarian. It's just because I can do things faster, cheaper, more right. secure, right? right. Like, like so I, I'm gonna, I want to try and send some money back to my family in Malaysia. I'm going to go to Western Union and they're going to charge me 50 bucks and it's going to take four days to show up. Mm. Or I can press a couple of buttons on my smartphone. No one else sees it. It's flipped from one currency to the other and the way through. It costs me cents, mm. fractions of a cent on the dollar to do that. And it's, in, it's there instantly. So it's better, right? And now, and now when I can do that with just having a simple MetaMask plug in on my browser, or so again, when the user interface side of things gets figured out a little bit more, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. This, is, this is something your grandma's using just because it, it, it's just better and safer. Mm. And everyone's – that's the other thing with these kinds of technologies is that they – 
the change is very slow and then very fast. Mm-hmm. Look at internet banking. Again, I'm Absolutely old enough true. to remember when we were so terrified <laughs> to put our credit cards into, onto the internet, Yes, you know? Yes. And now look, look, look just, of course I put my credit card in. Of course I buy stuff on. It's just once that, once that mindset shifts, the, mm-hmm. the, the rapidity and the magnitude of that change is, is phenomenal. Now, again, let me clarify here. I'm not saying this is going to happen. I probably say at best it's a 50-50 chance. And even if it does work out, we're talking about something that will play out over the next decade plus. So that's really, really important to say. But I will take that bet. You give me that bet 10 times, I'll take it every single time. I'm not going to bet my life savings on it. That's stupid. Yeah. I'm not going to put 50% of my money in. That's ridiculously reckless. Mm-hmm. But I'll put 5% of my money on something that has that that has that potential. I I am inclined. So I can I can I without without meaning to sound pejorative, can I describe it as intelligent speculation or is that too No, no uh, I'll go with that. Yeah. Is is that is that a reasonable summation of what you've just told me? So if you're again, if you're playing, if you're playing an advantaged game of chance, uh, yep. like we always use the the weighted coin, 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 yep. coin, yep. coin flip. <laughs> you know, yep. you, you just you you are. It is a game of chance, right? Yep. By definition, but it's a chance where again, to use the maths parlance, you have a positive expected value. Yes. When life presents you with, and maybe maybe it's not a positive expected, maybe mine that that's that's the fundamental yeah, core of my thinking, right? But yep. but assuming assuming it is, whenever life hands you one, and the more the more extreme that that positive expected value, mm-hmm. bet hard, yep. bet, bet really hard as often as you can, because yep. because it, it it's not guaranteed. To, you're speculating because each individual roll of the dice or flip of the coin is a speculation, but mathematically it's going to work out extraordinarily well for you over time. Mm. I, you aren't, you're, you're, that's a hard thing about this as well. It's not like this, this, this world changing event happens 10 times in the next 10 years that I can roll the dice. So it's kind of like, this is it. <laughs> this is either something that happens or it does. So I only get, so that's, that's, that's probably another attack of the argument there as well. Mm. But hopefully, hopefully I, I can, I can both say that this is, there is a degree of speculation at this, mm. but it still can be rationalized. Again, small amount of money, very, very long uh, time frame, and hopefully a reasonable appraisal of the, the odds and significance of this technology. You know, monkeys, monkey NFTs, I mean, it's crazy. It's all that stuff's stupid, but, but get, get past the hype. I think we, we, we I, I was, when you and I were first doing this podcast, I was really anti-Bitcoin. Uh, I just I thought it was stupid. You were laughing uh, at me losing money on Bitcoin. Yeah, you kept yeah, asking yeah. how much my Bitcoin was worth. Yeah, and just it wouldn't go away. I, I, I've, yeah, I'm actually yeah. quite proud of myself for changing. I might have changed my changed to the wrong side, but I, I think I think <laughs> we, right. as investors, you've always got to do that. Just mm-hmm. just really look at your own views skeptically yep. and go, have I got this right? And I I, I personally reached a point. It was like four years on, this thing just doesn't die. It's good. The adoption mm-hmm. is increasing. No <laughs> one's managed to crack it or hack it or do anything wrong with it. You know, it's sort of yeah. all this froth. It, again, my analogy here is always with the internet. Go back to the late 90s and look at what was happening in the tech space. It was yeah. stupid. And a lot of people were arguing this is ridiculous. The internet is cool. It's great that I can send these messages and check out the newspaper online, but yeah, come on, it's not that big a deal. You know, and, and was there speculation in that space? Yes. Was there con? Yes. Was there all? Yeah. But but at the core, there was something fundamentally unique and special and new to the world. And it's changed it's changed it forever and for the better. This is this is the same kind of analogy here. I think those are all right. I, I will add by way of balance just that. 
that argument could be made at anything. Look at the internet. This thing could be as big as that. Therefore, you should buy it. And, the, and the, I'm not saying you're making that point arbitrarily. I just want to make the point to others listening that there is a decent – Andrew's done a heap of research and thinking in between those two points. Not, hey, this was small. Now it's massive. Look at this other small thing. It's going to be massive. That's a yeah, mistake made by a lot of – every every mining investor. Look at Fortescue. This is going to be the next Fortescue. Yes. Uh, probably won't yep. be. Um, which is not saying you disagree. Here's my here's my last. Oh, can I can I quickly? We just talked before about oh, averaging yes. up. This this is exactly the point because you you it, the argument is only as good as the assumptions that you put into it. So you yeah, might sort of say, oh, well, the upside is is two times, the downside mm-hmm. is a hundred, and it's a fifty fifty odd. Yes. Uh, which case it's break even proposition. It's not a not a not a good one. In fact, if you change that a little bit more, it actually becomes a very bad. So it's only as good as that assumption. But as I said yes. before, I could have bought back when you bought a little bit for fun back in 2016 and I would have roughly tripled my money in that period. So now I'm now getting in after the price has tripled, but I would argue I'm getting in now at a lower risk proposition because because underneath under, – what the price has gone up a bit since then, yeah, absolutely. But so is the, the, the terms of the technology, the use case, the, the proof of concept, all of that has gone up uh, to a, degree, a greater degree. I'm going to so, make the. I'm going to make a point to, to Craig's question, which is I've said this before in different contexts. I think that too many investors see investing and betting as opposite, intractable enemies, and only one of those is reasonable. Mm, and mm. I think that is a massive mistake. Which is not to say that putting five bucks on the fifth and you know adapto on Saturday is a good idea. I don't know. Does adapter dog run on Saturday? Let's assume they do. It's probably a midweek, I'm guessing, but I, I don't really know. I don't know. Uh, the job of the investor and the job of the gambler, the professional gambler in particular, is to look at the odds being offered and decide whether those odds are attractive. Yep. And as much as it makes investors super uncomfortable, and I don't care, that is what investors do as well. Yep. I'm looking at the Woolworth share price, one of the bluest of blue chips in the country, and saying, do I think the price I'm being offered is an attractive one based on the odds of me being successful. If I put $100 down, will I get more than $100 back at some future point? Yes or no? Now, I do it at a portfolio level. Most gamblers, by the way, bet on almost every horse in every race, mm. which most people, they think, oh, they, they pick the winner and, you know, go. No, they don't. They Most of them put money on almost every horse in the race mm. and average their bets and size their bets such that they have an expected positive expected value as Andrew says and so I'm not not defending investing in Bitcoin because I wouldn't do it I wouldn't recommend it Andrew does and that's completely fine with me no I don't recommend it I'm doing it you do what you do you (laughs) don't send me I don't care what anyone else does and I'm doing it very to a small degree so just just clarify totally but but the point is still the same right the the Mm. approach is still exactly the same whether you're a professional punter whether you're buying Bitcoin whether you're buying art whether you're buying property whether you're buying shares you're looking, at a, you're looking at an asset and saying, I think that asset probabilistically is worth more in future. That's all you're doing. Yep. And I think we do ourselves a massive disservice. Again, I'm not, not, I'm not saying you should buy Bitcoin, Craig, but nor am I saying that they are intractably opposites. And I think there's a lot of intellectual arrogance from, not you, Craig, at all. I'm talking about other people who would say, well, betting and, betting and investing are different things. They're not. <laughs> you, it, it might be a silly thing to do to bet on the dogs if the expected value is in your favour. That's just a bad bet. Same as it would be a bad investment if I pay a million dollars for a Woolworths share. Yeah, it's, it's no, that's it's no the more difference. Sensible. That's the difference, though, right? So, uh, someone who's 
knows what they're doing is doing so where the odds are in there. There is, there is yeah, a, exactly. It's all, they're all probabilistic. If I go and play a pokey machine, that is stupid because there is a negative expected value. The longer yes. I play, the more guaranteed I am to lose. So here's the strategy for playing the pokies. Put a dollar in. If you win, take it out. Because that's the, o- <laughs> that's the only right. way you win. Yeah, that's right. Because exactly. the longer you play, I used, to work at, um, I used to work at one of the league's clubs as a student right. and I worked the the floor of the machine. God, it was depressing. And you'd sit there and oh, someone man, would spin man. up 10 grand. Go, Wah! They'd been there for 12 oh. hours, right? Did they take yeah. the money and walk out the door? No, they just kept on playing. And and, oh, and so oh. and, and the club would be giving them as many free drinks as they could. Yeah. Hey, stay around. Stay and anyway, put it all back. Yeah, all yeah. of that because, because they know as much mm. as you can know anything in this universe with with the, the rules of mathematics that, that, are, that are guaranteed <laughs> to give that back. Yeah, now, yeah. if you're Warren Buffett, you can do yeah. it 100 times over because you know <laughs> right. that there's still yeah. a speculative element to it. There's still probabilities involved. It's just that yeah. you're more likely to win than not when you're yeah. adopting a sensible approach and you've got a good read on the world and you're able to put reasonable probabilities on things. Yeah. Yeah. That's the difference. Gambling, is it bad? Well, the answer is it depends on the expected value. If it's positive, no, it's great. Do it. <laughs> go to town. <laughs> now, I'm not for a second saying go and put money on the horses. I'm not saying go play the pokers. I'm not saying go to the casino, uh, in part because, as Andrew says, they're rigged against you, but partly because you don't have a reason to believe you're better than the average bear. Same as investing, right? We mentioned edge before. Um, so just be really careful. But don't fall into the trap of thinking that somehow investing is a, a sure thing or the opposite of betting. It's really Gambling is really not. Yeah. Now, if gambling is, if you want to define gambling as playing games with the odds are stacked against you, that's fine too. And then feel free to avoid that for sure. Sure. But, you know, there's plenty of, plenty of air quotes investing where the odds are stacked against you as well. Investing in a speculative mining company is almost certainly not investing, mm. right? Because mm. <laughs> the chance are you going to lose your money. Investing in some startup biotech, probably not investing if you want to use that definition because you're probably going to lose your money. Mm. And so I would rather, uh, I prefer, <laughs> well, I'd have, to, I'd have to make it, I'd have to, have to turn the numbers properly. I would probably expect a professional gambler to have a better chance of success than the average po- person investing, in air quotes, yeah. in a speculative miner. If, yep. you, if you gave me, if you gave me the, the future expected value of, you know, John Smith, professional gambler, or, you know, Bruce White, the, uh, the, 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 the biotech and, and specy miner punter, I'd take the professional gambler's expected mm. value, really mm. honestly. Not because of the assets, because of the potential ability and likelihood of being right. And that's that's what it comes down to. I think it also feeds into the mindset too. So when a professional gambler loses on a particular race, they don't tear up the ticket and walk, <laughs> oh, everything's <laughs> broken. It doesn't, you know, I've, like, no, that's yep. the plan. That's yep. part of the plan. Like it's, it's mm-hmm. intrinsic to the plan. And I think, I think we need to be all more, and when looking at other people out in the market, you've got to be very aware of that a, a lot of, a lot mm-hmm. of, you know, people, especially on poor old Fintwit, you know, people love to pile onto people who have who have mm. gotten it wrong. You know, publicly have sort of stated a support for a particular company. That company's gotten very bad and everyone sort of piles on. And this kind of thing, well, so what? I just kind of, it sucks for that. But, but how have they gone overall? That That's the more interesting question here. And I think for yourself, when you're out there in the cut and thrust of the market and something really goes against you, um, most people give up and that, that's why there is such huge churn and that's why so few people ever stick to the and get the benefits of long-term investing because they have a couple of bad experiences and they, they take their bat and ball and go home. 
Whereas you, you really need to do is actually say, well, <laughs> did I really think I was going to hit a hundred percent strike rate? <laughs> like exactly. I was, did that, did that re- and did I think that even with the ones I get right, that they were going to be right immediately? Did I, did I really mm. think that? Mm. Um, uh, no, this is, this is, this is, this is part of it. What the more fundamental question is, is that, am I in a, employing a, a, an approach here yeah. where I'm more likely to be right than wrong over time on average. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. so fundamental. It's so obvious when you say it, but it's just, you know, it's so it's so common that people bow out at the exact wrong time for the exact wrong reasons. And I think yeah. I think it's why it's it, the industry we are to blame ourselves because in trying to attract clients, people always talk about the great positive aspects of investing <laughs> yeah, in the market. Right. No one out there, I've said this the other week on the pod, is just like imagine the 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 best financial services company out there and says, hey, come invest with us. It's going to be super scary. It's probably going to be a few points in history where we lose half of your money. And even if we do make you money, it's probably going to compound at 10% on average over a very long period of time. They don't get a single client. They don't get a single client. And yet, they again, if they deliver to what their expectation are, that'd be a wonderful mm-hmm. result. Mm-hmm. Double your money every mm-hmm. seven years. Thanks very much. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's the thing, right? The, the share market over time has got a massively positive expected value compared to as the average horse race, where the the, the tote keeps ten percent of the all the money, all the money bet. You're you're on a losing starting point, so the, I don't want to draw too direct a line between the share market. I won't call it investing in gambling. So the share market and the track. Yeah, the, the, the odds simply are simply differently designed. That being said. Um, the, the fund managers and the exchange and the tax man takes a chunk too. So be careful how you think about putting that money to work. All right. Before, let's move on. I just want to say one, one, yes. one thing to Craig and, one and, and to anyone that's sort of out there yep. is that, I mean, I, I totally respect the, the stance and, and as I said at the beginning, there's a huge overlap in terms of what, what we think. But I would also be careful, just, just in case I am, I am right, um, put out, put out, write, write down some points as to what, what does you being wrong look like? Um, is it a certain number of wallets using it or a certain number of transactions or hash? Well, you have to get into a bit of the weeds here, but what are, what are the signposts mm-hmm. as we talked about before that show me that actually as crazy as this thing is, there actually seems to be. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying do that because I want to ha-ha, show you that you're wrong. <laughs> not, not at all. I mean, I, I could be totally wrong, but but I, and I'm doing the same in reverse, right? Mm-hmm. But but I would ask anyone to, because the trouble is, is that if if, if this is something, a lot of people will will resist for years and years and years and years because they made a decision early and they stuck to it and they never changed their mind. Yeah. Um, be, I'm prepared to change mine. Just I'm, all I'm saying is be prepared to change yours and 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 ask what wrong in your context looks like and be alert to it. I like it. Mate, let's move on. We've done a, a lot of work on that, but I think it's a useful conversation. Uh, let's go to a, a question from – another question from Craig, different Craig though. Um, hi, Scott and Andrew. My question for the podcast is about dividend reinvestment plans. I have a portfolio that includes some blue chips, some growth shares, some speckies, and an ETF. I've been investing for about eight years. Whenever it's available, I have always taken the 100% dividend reinvestment plan option. I see it as a good way to increase my portfolio without brokerage fees and to maximize my compounding over time. I'm in a position where I would rather do this than take the dividend as cash. My question is, are there other positive or negative things to consider regarding DRPs? I think I'm on the right track with what works for me, but I want to make sure I'm not missing something. Thanks, guys. I love the down-to-worth chat, and I always learn something from listening in. Cheers, Craig. Thanks, Craig. I'll have a, I'll have a, a swing at this one, and then you can, you can yep. jump in. Uh, so, Craig, DRPs are great for a whole lot of reasons. They are brokerage-free. They are super easy. They avoid inertia. 
uh, and they let you increase your stake in listed businesses as well as making sure that you, uh, yeah, just put that money to work. Uh, if you're someone who would otherwise spend the money in the bank account or not invest it, not get around to it, it keeps the, it keeps the machine rolling forward. It does compounding for you. You are 100% right. On the other side, uh, it, if I had 20 investments and I did a DRP in each one, by definition, I'm putting money into my 20th best idea. By definition, because if you rank them, no matter which one it is, uh, all 20, one of them is my 20th best idea, the other one is my best idea. And so it means you're not consciously choosing the best place for that capital. That can be fine because you might be happy with the compounding automatically, which is completely fine. But that's one of the downsides. Uh, downside is you need to make sure you have money set aside for tax because even though it's a DRP, it is a taxable payment. Mm. And if you don't use the dividend cash to pay the tax, you'll have to find that that money somewhere else. Not a bad thing. Uh, in fact, it almost improve, increases your compounding, right? Because if I took out $100 in dividends, paid $30 in, in tax and reinvested 70, then I've reinvested 70. If I reinvest the whole 100, and find 30 bucks from my savings account to pay the tax, then I've actually invested more than I would have otherwise. So it's a positive, mm. but you've got to pay the tax. That's still important. Um, and the other one is just probably just record keeping. Not a huge one. Just be mindful if you do DRP twice a year for 25 That's years. You're going to have a lot of individual <laughs> transactions to keep track of. It's not hard. Just do it. But just be mindful that at some point you're going to have to it, wonder. It's what, hard if you, you haven't know, kept good road. Paid, like, where it went. I've done it in the past. I, I use a platform now, but yeah, it... it, it I didn't keep good records there for a while. And I mean, one yeah. time I tried to do it, oh man, was it a nightmare? <laughs> <laughs> well, again, like, yeah, if you just do it, it's fine. Uh, so those are the upsides and the downsides, mate. Um, uh, in terms of the, the first and 20th best ideas, the other thing I'd probably just add quickly is it also means you're not looking for new ideas. And quite often the best idea is one you already hold, which is fine. That's usually um, the case, But if you, yeah. took, if you took dividends from 20 companies and found a 21st company that was actually the very best idea you had, you hadn't already, you hadn't already bought it, uh, then you're just less likely to include new potential ideas in your investment. Don't need to. Completely fine. If you've got 20 great companies, that's completely fine. Um, but if you're looking for the best idea, it may not be one you own at all. So in fact, your 21st best idea doesn't get the money because uh, you get your first idea, which is a new one. Mm. Uh, so be, be mindful of that. Anything else, mate? No, I mean, like I, I think they're great DRPs. Uh, it just, yeah. It's one of those things you, you can have a point of view on, but either way, yeah. it's it's a good thing to do. Yeah, or... or, or it, yeah. I would just double down on your your idea of doing it, but doing it manually. So it's sort of yeah. like, hey, I've got, I've, I get the, the dividend in cash and then I can use – this helps as your weightings change because, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. things go better. Yeah. Some go yeah. better than others. And, yeah. you know, it's it's a good problem to have sometimes when one of your mm-hmm. really strong performers represents 30% of your portfolio. But it's, you yeah. know, do you really want to continue to compound and grow and grow and grow and grow, grow your exposure? So it's sort of yeah. – it is nice to sort of take that cash and then use – you're still reinvesting it. You're just reinvesting mm-hmm. it somewhere else. And there is brokerage and there are considerations with that. But I, I actually don't know if I even have a company that pays dividends at the moment. But when I did, um, uh, yeah, that's that's the way I used to do it. But you know, as long as you're reinvesting the cash, I think it's a, it's a move in the right direction. I completely agree. It's it's one of those. You know, one might be slightly better than the other, but they're both really, really good. They're both options. really good options. Yeah. Um, mate, one more question before we do. Um, you can get in touch with us on all of the usual platforms. Let's start with Facebook. Go to facebook.com/slash The Motley Fool Australia or facebook.com/slash Scott Phillips Money. If you're on the Twitter machine, it is the exclusive and only place you can find Andrew Page and Strawman. Go to at Sage underscore Simeon or at Strawman Invest. Uh, if you're on Twitter and or Insta, you can get me at TMF Scott P 
or The Motley Fool at The Motley Fool AU. Pretty straightforward. Please do that. Follow us, chat with us, interact with us. We had uh, a couple of interactions even this morning as we're recording. Uh, Donald suggested that uh, I should describe myself as having a private investment club and I said that Andrew would sue me because uh, obviously that's what strawman.com is. Mm-hmm. I have mentioned that so far today, so there's your chance. Mm-hmm. Apparently it is a private investment club as it you is. may know by now. Uh so yes, do do all those things. And if you want to send us uh, send us any direct message, uh, me probably rather than Andrew on questions or comments for the podcast because uh, I collate them and put them together. Uh, but also follow Andrew because he's got some great content on there. And if you want to email us, you can info i n f o at fool All right, last question for today, mate. We'll squeeze it in. Hi, Scott and Andrew. Yep. This is from Ash. Firstly, thank you for your podcast and your insights into investing. It has rejuvenated my interest in and consolidated my understanding of the market after I initially began investing during the barefoot bubble. I haven't heard that before, but I like the <laughs> phrase. We're glad to help, mate. We're, Ash, we're glad if you've, if you've started investing, that's that's spectacular. Or, or rejuvenated it. you're investing, that, that's awesome. We're glad if we've helped. Uh, I apologise if this is a mundane question, says Ash, but however, it is something I've not heard discussed. Can you please talk me through the online investor centres? Other than updating personal details and DRP options, what is their purpose? The websites are clunky at best. Oh, God, they are. Oh, so And as I diversify my portfolio, I seem to diversify my investor centres also. Can you streamline these into one account or is this something not really worth spending any time on? Thanks again. A fellow Southern Highlander. Ash, see, Ash, now you're my favourite. I had a favourite listener. Now you're my favourite listener, Ash. (laughs) And you will be until next week. This is our last question. But, um, mate, Southern Highlands, New South Wales, God's own country, obviously. (laughs) Uh, Ash and I can can, uh, attest to that. Thanks for the question, mate. A really good one. Um, oh, man. Investor centres, mate. Tell me what they are. Tell me why there are multiples. So companies uh, appoint share registries to just keep track. Why? Of, uh, well, they need to keep track of who owns the shares in the business. Mm-hmm. And they need to know if they're going to pay a dividend, where they're going to pay that to, if they where they're going to send the annual report to, uh, right. where to send the voting forms for the mm-hmm. next AGM. They, they, they just need to manage it. Now, if it's a small little business that you and I own and we can just pick up the phone and ring the five investors, that's easy. But when there's literally 10,000 different investors all around the place, <laughs> you, need, you need one of these sort of these share registry companies to sort of keep track of it. But Ash is right. I mean, they're just diabolically crap, if I can use that oh, word. They suck. Uh, you know, I, I bought some shares. It's, he actually sometimes um, puts me off buying shares in a company I don't already hold because it's like, oh. I've got to go through all that malarkey. And the ASX is just as bad. They send out this stuff in the mail. Rose weeks later, like, oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, I did that three statements. weeks ago. You know, like, yeah, why are you sending me yeah, that much money yeah. and paper is this costly? Like, anyway, mm-hmm. um, that, no, you can't consolidate them because the company chooses which one uh, that they're going mm-hmm. to use. Um, you can consolidate under, like, if, if, if multiple companies, like so, the big ones are Link and Computer Share and, and Advanced mm-hmm. Share Registry and these kinds of ones. So there will be a lot of overlap. But I've got four or five different relationships with share registries because, and I've got no choice because mm-hmm. the companies that I wanted to buy happen to use these ones. And if I want to change yeah. any of my details, ostensibly it's pretty easy. <laughs> Go onto the website, make some changes. It's just never as clear and straightforward as it should be. Oh, but so painful. You have to do it. Um, give yes. them your tax file number because that yes. that will mean that they're not taking out more tax from any re- capital return that you get. Make mm-hmm. sure your address mm-hmm. and your email address is all updated. You want to make sure they can get in contact yep. with you. Make sure your bank account details are there, but you've got to keep on top of it, unfortunately. Is there a better mm-hmm. way? Yes. 
why hasn't disruption <laughs> and innovation occurred in this space? <laughs> I would argue that there's a sort of a uh, bit of, oh, I don't know, almost in, industry capture or there's just, there's yeah. not a, it's, it's like with data providers, with markets and stuff. I mean, yeah. the amount of money you have to pay, don't get me started on, on mm-hmm. ASX prices for public companies is ridiculous. It's just very, very cozy oligopolies and the rest of it. So it yeah. should be shaken up. We should let some people come in and, and, and do a much better job of all of this kind of stuff. But for better or worse, or worse, this is where it is at the moment and you have to deal with them. <laughs> yeah, so actually they can't be consolidated because the companies choose their own. Uh, and so it's, while you have an account with the, with the Investor Centre, we don't have people like Computer Share, Link, Advanced Share, Registries. Have I missed any? Oh, yeah, one there's, one bunch, there's a bunch of them. Yeah, Boardroom. So the, the relationship between the company and the registry, so the company outsources says, we can do all this ourselves, but we don't have the systems and processes and people and you can do it cheaper and easier, so you do it for me. Uh, and so we're obliged to use them. It's a weird one, mate. It's kind of a shame that no one's actually put a, a, an investor front end to allow it, right? It's like saying, you know, if I if I want to if I want to work for two employers, I've got to have two separate bank accounts uh, because they, they only bank with now, or they only bank with Commonwealth Bank, so I need to have an account with each. It's crazy mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that's where it's set up. Mm-hmm. But the actual registry of who owns what is at that. At, at, is, is at the company's discretion. And they're not going to use the same one because, and we actually like the fact that there's competition, at least we should like it, uh, because it means that, uh, you know, that the companies themselves are getting a better deal, which means that their shareholders are making more profit. So there's that. The cost of that, unfortunately, <laughs> is that we've got to um, deal with multiple versions of them. So you can't consolidate them. You couldn't if you wanted to. Uh, you probably don't want your companies to do it because if everyone only used one one registry, then uh, they'd, all, they, they'd get charged monopoly prices to do that. <laughs> Maybe I gotta say, if I think about it, I think the, the price they're paying. If I own BHP, I'm like, just go to the registry I already use because the the, the the per share price is probably bugger all because BHP is so big. Uh, but for little companies, it matters a lot, right? If they can save a bit of money on their registry costs, they will. Mm. So I, I gotta that's say, why, go on. Sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Um, I was just gonna say, Computer Share has been and Link both listed on the ASX. Link hasn't been around for very long. Computer Share has been around since the '90s. It's a hundred bagged in that time. Mm. So you got to bought it for twenty cents. <laughs> That's right. right. Now it's now, twenty-two bucks. So why isn't it better? The, the, well, I'm, I'm going to. I won't talk about either of them or any of them. I will. I will make my comments amorphous and uh, un, non-specific, so I can't be sued by anyone. Why is it not better? Well, think about it. Who pays the bills? The companies. Do they really care whether I like their website? No. They care enough that the investors don't revolt and make the company change registry. But how much, how much effort are they going to put in to make sure I can access my account nicely when they really just want to keep the company paying the annual bill? Yeah. And so as long as it's no worse, not, not meaningfully worse than the other guy, where's the incentive? Now, if I was paying for it, if, if all of a sudden the system was flipped on its head and I get to choose my share registry, you watch them change. They yeah. would be the slickest bit of you've online tech you've seen in your life. Yep, so whose bread I eat, his song I sing, um, you know, when, when you're the product or when you're, you know, the, the, the company is the customer. We are just the user and they are really, really, really different things. So I would love them to fix it. I can't see why we couldn't have personal share registries that were linked to the others. I mean, you know, the, the system allowed that to be done that way. It just simply doesn't work that way and the registry holds the account. If you want to change my chest details because I'm broker sponsored, I have to do it that way. But why the brokers can't do it or someone else can't provide it? Uh, I, honestly, hey. I probably imagine there's no money in it. But but it's uh, I can imagine it could be an interesting business idea. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be cool if there was some kind of like oh, I don't know like digital wallet or something that could <laughs> store all of this for me, which I had complete control over and was 100% portal and interoperable with every other. Yeah, that'd be that'd be an interesting concept. I wonder if can I tell oh, you? I wonder I if someone will invent that. <laughs> 
Can you imagine how many investors would lose thousands and tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars because they lose their wallet? Uh, well, password. I, I don't. I don't want to go there. I hope that never ever happens. Like the amount of people who all of a sudden would lose seven figure sal- sums because they couldn't find their password. They'll be. No, thank you. There already are. There no, are custodial you. services for that kind of stuff. I don't. I don't. Well, just well, like no Russian. Just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but 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 it's it's the interoperable. Round around we go. Yeah. Oh god. Don't don't tempt me. It's it's the interoperable <laughs> part that makes it very very powerful. Oh, totally. So, you know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Yeah. It, it, that, that's what's cool about it. So if 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 someone else comes along and says, "Oh, here's a different user interface for yeah. for your asset," well, I can just plug mine into that, and it works, and it's guaranteed to work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and I can have a custodial. Anyway, I'm going too far down the rabbit hole. This this Wait is the trouble. You start going down, it's very pull deep. Out, pull out. It's no, very board, deep. <laughs> <laughs> on that happy note, on that happy note of the possibility of interoperable online thingamadoover, what's its things? <laughs> uh, I, I, I was called I was called old school, and I was told I have a. Uh, an old-fashioned old view of how the economy worked today. So I'm feeling very old. I'm feeling very bar humbug. Get off my lawn is all I have to say to you lot. And until next week, get off my lawn and fool on. <laughs> Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691. Listener.